This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. If I was to give you a shine on life coach exercise for the new year, it would be to forgive everyone you think has wronged you in 2019. Heck, why not make it your whole life? I'm really big on making lists, but I wouldn't even ask you to list the people you think have wronged you because why call attention to it? Just do a body scan and feel if there's any grudge stuck anywhere. Maybe invite hidden grudges to come to the surface and then ask them to leave you. Release, release, release. Forgive, forgive, forgive. I don't need anyone to apologize or make amends or suffer. I just let stuff go because there's nothing that's going to get between me and my feel good. Vibrating high keeps me close to the good stuff, keeps me close to the God stuff, and that's where I want to be. Now, I got here, of course through holding on to all kinds of grudges and being angry for decades, that just doesn't work for me now. I've got two books that may help you if you need to forgive. One is called How to Suffer by Will Arntz and the latest Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy Newmark chose this title, The Forgiveness Fix. All of those resentments and disappointments and anger that you have for all of the bad things that were done to you over the years, you know, that collection of bad things, I think of it almost like you have a cloak, right? And you sew that collection of bad things onto this cloak, and you're wearing this heavy cloak, and you're walking around being weighed down by all of these things that are behind you. They're in your past, but you're carrying them with you into your present, and you're trying to drag them with you into your future. And if you could just shrug them off, you could walk away lighter and lighter is the word that everybody uses when they use the power of forgiveness. So here's what I didn't know. I looked up the definition of forgive. It doesn't mean you're saying that the person who did you wrong didn't do you wrong. You're not saying that past action was okay. You're not excusing it. You're not telling them they're pardoned. You're just saying, and I never knew this before, the definition of forgiveness is not that the bad thing is okay and that you're telling the person don't worry about it. The definition of forgive is to stop feeling angry or resentful for an offense or a mistake that happened. It does not mean you are excusing it. It just means you're putting it in the past and you're saying, I'm not going to let the weight of it go forward with me. And the Mayo Clinic says that it leads to better health, less anxiety, less stress, less hostility, lower blood pressure, less depression, a stronger immune system. Using forgiveness gives you a stronger immune system, which is very cool. So how do you do it, right? It's hard sometimes to just say, I'm going to leave something in the past. Here's a whole bunch of tips because we have 101 in our book. One thing is just recognize that this person is actually not relevant to your life anymore, which sounds kind of snarky. But if the person who wronged you is not even relevant to your life, why are you letting that person stay inside your head? Why are you renting space in your mind to that person who you, who is not even relevant, who you don't even care about? We had this woman named Lynn Sunday, and she wrote about how she was 
was so angry at her ex-husband that she thought about him all the time. She talked about him all the time, you know, well after the divorce was over. And finally, her best friend said to her, you might as well still be married to the man. You take him with you wherever mm-hmm, you go, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is like brilliant, right? right? That one sentence in the book could be enough to get somebody to say, oh, my gosh, I have been doing that. I can't believe I've been letting this person ruin my life. And, you know, when you have that resentment towards that person, they're not being hurt by it. They don't even know. They have no idea. It's taking the poison and expecting somebody else to die. Yeah, and what's cool is that the other person doesn't even have to be alive anymore. They Mm -hmm. don't have to know that you're forgiving them because you're not excusing their actions. You're just saying, I'm not going to carry this stupid behavior around with me anymore that this awful person did to me. I'm not carrying it with me anymore. It's not my burden to carry. One thing that I do is I sometimes think, well, that person's stuck with being whoever he is. Right. But I'm not that person. Sucks to be them. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I know. And that's Here I am from Chicken Soup to the Soul, and I'm sounding so snarky. I'm saying, oh, they're not relevant. You know, but these things work. Another thing that people do, and, you know, everybody has different techniques that work for them. We had a woman whose mother-in-law was awful to her. She wouldn't even let her daughter-in-law be in the family photos at a family wedding. And she did, you know, a hundred things like that. And finally, this woman sat down at her, at her computer for days, and she wrote pages and pages and pages of every single thing her mother-in-law had done to her. Mm-hmm. And then she read each item, deleted it. Read, deleted, read, wow. deleted, read. She deleted hundreds of items, and then her mother-in-law hadn't changed, but this woman had changed because now when she saw her mother-in-law, she was starting over with a clean slate, and so she wasn't carrying her knowledge and her resentment for all the past behavior, and she found it much easier to deal with her going forward. Some people do that. They write a list. Some people write a letter, and then they burn it or throw it away. I used to have long discussions in the shower by myself. Mm-hmm. I would tell the other person exactly what they did wrong out loud in the shower, and that would make me feel better. So everybody has different methods. Another thing we talk about in the book is what I call pre-forgiveness. How great would it be if we never even got angry in the first place? Because right. half the times you get angry, well, you either didn't have all the facts or you didn't really understand what was going on in that person's life or you didn't really understand that person wasn't really doing this to you. Like, let's say you go to a store. Somebody who works there is rude to you. They're not really being rude to you specifically. Maybe they had a bad morning before you got there. So there's no point getting angry. They didn't do it to you. I find if I don't think take things personally, I don't even have to get angry because it right. wasn't being done to me. I was just an innocent bystander while this unhappy person vented in some way. So that's another thing to do is just not even get angry in the first place, but immediately go to, was this directed at me? Is this person just miserable? Did this person have a bad day? Is this person really angry at somebody else and I just got in the way? I learned so much from this book. Like this one guy, he was angry with his father. Then he got all the facts and he realized he shouldn't have been angry with his father for 20 years. And then he said this, he said, my world was dark because I kept turning out the light. Mm. And that just blew me away. He created his own darkness, and it was all in his head, but since it started in his head, he could make it go away just by deciding. I think also, too, when we talk about forgiveness, we have to forgive ourselves, and we should also take a pause and say, oh, my God, have I ever done anything like this to someone? Is there someone carrying around all this resentment towards me? Because, you know, we can hurt people's feelings and never even know it. 
Yeah, exactly. And if you can learn to forgive your own inadequacies and recognize them, then you're much more understanding of when other people act the same way. So it's really a nice circle. If you forgive yourself, you'll find you're forgiving other people more easily or using that pre-forgiveness I was talking about and not even getting angry in the first place. So we're telling everybody, go out and buy the latest Chicken Soup for the Soul book because it is going to help wash away, right? You're going to read these stories and you're going to be able to release don't you think? Well, you know, forgiveness gives you back the power because you had given that power to somebody else by forgiving them, which doesn't mean they were okay. It just means you've decided not to keep obsessing about it. You take that power back. I think everybody's going to be seeing somebody maybe they have a beef with. So what a great gift to give to yourself. I mean, I think I've learned a lot from it, although I think I was already practicing forgiveness, but now I think I'm even better at it. And the reason I called it Chicken Soup for the Soul, the forgiveness fix, is because I really think this is such an easy way to fix your life. Amy Newmark, Chicken Soup for the Soul. I have two copies of The Forgiveness Fix. Email me at casey.co and I'll send you one. Hi, it's Casey and this is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. Please join me January 11th for New Year's Inspiration at Mariandale in Ossining. Just two hours to set our sights on a great new year with more forgiveness and less suffering. Will Arntz of What the Bleep Do We Know fame has a new book. It's called How to Suffer. Kind of tongue-in-cheek. You can make yourself a sufferometer, as he suggests in the book, and you may be surprised at what you find. Will says, we are all suffering on some level, and we should get to know our suffering. Not just know it, but also become really aware and conscious of it. Not just, oh, I'm suffering and then move on. It's like that and, okay, why am I suffering? You know, what's the cause of it? And, you know, do I want to get out of it? And if so, what am I going to uh, do? What strategy am I going to employ to get out of my suffering? I've seen people suffer and sometimes they get so deep into it, it's really hard to even reach them. At that point, when someone's just really, really into it, there's not much you can do. I mean, that's their decision. People have more choice in the, in the suffering than they kind of realize, but some people just fall into it and then they actually wallow in it because they, on some level, are getting something out of it. Oh my God. Goodness. So suffering people, we don't mean people who have just suffered, you know, some tremendous loss and it's exactly the right thing to do, which is to mourn or grieve. We mean people who are stuck in sort of a trap that they don't know they can get out of. Yes? Correct. Yeah. I mean, there, there's things where just it's just something just horrible happens and you suffer over it. And like you said, you really need to grieve. You need to experience it and not just blow it off. There's things more of the day-to-day stuff that we do. You know, you suffer over an in, a perceived insult. You suffer over the fact that you're worried that your deal's not going to go through. These sort of things that are not at that catastrophic level are something we can deal with, and those are the sort of sufferings that most people experience most of the time. Right. So the thing that you're complaining about day after day after day, that's the thing that's causing you suffering. And you're saying that people who don't detach from suffering are getting something out of it? Like what? Well, you get sympathy. You have an excuse then for not doing other things. You get to play the play the victim. Right. You and don't you don't have to grow if you're suffering. Pretty much. Although suffering, if you use it the way that I think it's really supposed to be used, it is a tool for growth. Tell me about how suffering can be a tool for growth. 
Well, let me just speak personally here, not theoretically. I've noticed the times I've changed the most in my life is when I've been suffering the greatest. When I've done something to hurt someone I care about, either, you know, unconsciously or just due to my ego needs or whatnot. You know, I do something that's really hurtful to someone and I get how I've done that and I've hurt them. You know, that really, the guilt that I feel is, is tremendous. And you know, then I make vows. I say, look, I am never, ever, ever going to do that again. And I change. I change my attitude. I change what I do. I change my perceptions. The idea that the suffering can move you on to great fundamental changes is significant. You really had to have some discipline to go on and make those changes. Because there's plenty of people who say, but I'm not going to let that happen again. And it happens again and again and again. Right. And, you know, in the book, I talk about the 12-step program because that's a classic example of people who they're suffering. They're addicted to something. They realize they have to get out of it, but it's not necessarily easy. So so there's steps in order to basically, yeah, you can have the realization, oh, I'll never, ever do that again. And then five months down the line, five years down the line, the temptation is still there and you go, ah, what the hell? It's a struggle, but it's a struggle for transformation. And generally, it's not easy for people to change. Let's talk about the 10 easy steps to suffering. You say easy step number one, ignore the gorilla. Yeah, the gorilla in the room. And that's one of the things I realized in writing the book is that most people, you, we don't really ever acknowledge the suffering. It's this background process that's always kind of running, but we don't do it. Someone says, how are you doing? If you're suffering, you, you might shine it on and say, oh, I'm doing great. Or you might say, oh, well, you know, my boss is a creep and blah, blah, blah. But what you really is going on is I'm suffering because my boss is abusing me in unfair ways. But people don't really get to that level. And so because you're not dealing directly with the internal state of suffering, more of the external stuff around it, you don't really deal with it. And so it's this, like I said, background process that's always looming there. And really, it affects so much of what everyone does. You know, it's like, oh, I want to make a lot of money so I don't have to suffer lack. I want to meet my true love so I don't have to suffer loneliness. It's a motivating factor in our life to avoid it. And yet no one really talks that much directly about it. Are we all suffering? Well, according to Buddha, who's wiser than I, he said, yes. Yeah, life is suffering. Maybe not every minute of the day, but things come about and then we suffer. It's, it's unavoidable. But not suffering is, is an option. It is an option. Again, talking to, to Buddha, who, who claims that, and I believe in me, that he beat suffering. He was able to, to make changes in his awareness, his consciousness, so that he really didn't suffer anymore. Then he comes up with the eightfold path on how not to suffer. So it is possible, but, but that's for someone, you know, the spiritually adept, the, someone who spends their lifetime working on it. For most folks, they are going to suffer one way or another, but I think they don't have to suffer as much as we all do. Right. We can choose maybe the length of our suffering. We can choose to cut our suffering short and make other adjustments, make other changes. Yeah, and we can apply certain techniques or wisdoms to it. Like, let's let's say a tree falls in your house. You know, it's really miserable. Oh, my God, all the stuff got broken. That can just make you suffer or suffer. But at a certain point, you have to surrender or accept it. It's okay. Okay, the, the tree 
fell in your house. There's nothing you could have done about it. You didn't think 120 mile an hour winds were going to sweep through and do it, but it happened. So instead of suffering over it, you just have to accept it. Okay, that happened to me, you know, and some people then go into blame. They'll blame the faith. They blame God. They, they blame the guy who planted the tree 50 years ago, whatever, and they don't really move on. So there's times when you have to employ a certain mental framework to say, okay, it happens. It's lousy. I don't like it, but I'm just going to accept it and move on. That's surrendering to your suffering. How about forgiveness? Can you talk to me about forgiveness and the role that plays in suffering? Well, forgiveness, I have the, it's the 10 easy steps. And I did that kind of as a, a joke or a roast of self-help books who promised the world in 10 easy steps and it's never easy. So that's kind of how it, it started. That's the first half of the book. The second half, I talk about the six slippery steps. And the slippery steps are the steps to end your suffering. And so uh, forgiveness is one of the slippery steps. And the reason I say it's a slippery step is because you can forgive when you shouldn't forgive. You should, there are times when someone wrongs you and um, there's, a, there's a concept, uh, it's actually in Judaism called tikkun, where it's like in order to forgive, there must be repair. The person who's wronged you is, needs to do repair in order to, for them to move on and for the forgiveness to be complete. Um, that's also reflected in the, the 12 steps. You make an amends. And so there's an important part of that. So if you just forgive everyone who wrongs you, and people are doing it all the time, that's not really going to help you because then people, you know, there's a certain thing where people just keep rolling over you and taking advantage of you and that we see that happen so forgiveness is very valuable but there are times when you say well yeah i you know you wronged me you know i may forgive you but you have to make amends there has to be a change in order for that to happen and like i said that's in the part of built into the 12-step program because that's part of the whole forgiveness if they're no longer in your life and they can't make amends can't you just forgive them well, at that point, yeah. At that point, they're, they're gone. They're, you know, at that point, then holding on to it, people do that. They carry a grudge all their life. Then that just brings you down. So then, that, then that's the time you say, okay, well, they're, I'll never see them again, and I'm not going to let them keep affecting my life, and then you, you, yes, you, then you do move on. Give us the tools we need to become aware of our own suffering. Like, what kind of soul-searching do we need to do to see where the suffering is? In the book, I have a chapter on, I call it the science of suffering. At the end of it, I say, you know, any science needs a metric in order to do it. And I say, you need a sufferometer, which is this device that I created. I did it sort of as, you know, humorous, but it actually is very valuable. You said it's a tool. It's actually a tool. And what it is, you do a dial from zero to 100 to say how much you're suffering. And... You know, try it for a week. Really try to say, how much am I suffering right now? And then I found that actually by doing it, saying, how much am I suffering? I found that a lot of the times, I kind of thought I was suffering more than I was. I was just in a bad mood because of something, sort of a funky mood. And as soon as I put a number on it, I'm like, well, actually, I'm not, I'm not suffering that much. Maybe you're not. Plot it out on a scale of 1 to 100. Maybe you're not doing so bad. If you want a copy of the book, How to Suffer by Will Arntz, let me know at Casey.co. Finally, a real-life story about choosing not to suffer and realizing most suffering is based in fear. 
Here's the story. Colleen is a small business owner, and she's just hiring new employees for the first time at her health spa. And then the competition moves in literally next door into her professional building. At first, there was suffering. I felt very put off by it when I found out that it kind of was like an ambush, and it felt very sneaky, and I felt very personally attacked by it. And when I analyzed it, you know, my first instinct was rage, anger. I have to extinguish this. I have to make this better for myself. I can't let this ruin my business. When I was reflecting with a loved one, they pointed out to me that this is just you acting in fear, and you have nothing to be afraid of. And that was really a great perspective to have and I didn't even realize my reaction was just based upon fear. So you have like a personal care business and you're in a professional building and into this building comes another business just like yours. I would just like mine. I would be afraid. I would be yes. angry. Yes. I'm an established business but when I realized that uh, you know a lot of changes are happening to my business right now. I'm bringing on employees so although my clients are loyal to me I was very concerned that maybe my future employees would not have such loyalty and that maybe this could be a real threat and maybe this could harm the people that rely on me for a paycheck and for being able to pay their mortgage and give their kids a you know a great life so it was very scary to me that these people have entrusted me and now what do I do because competition moved in literally next door in your building mm-hmm. have you approached this other business owner do they know what you're feeling they actually approached me which was why I was so put off by it there are 14 different owners in the building and I was the only one reached out to to ask a simple remedial question in which I responded very cheerfully because I didn't realize um, the name didn't make that much clear sense to me what the business was and then upon further investigation I realized oh my gosh this could be a real problem for me and this person came specifically to me with that like espionage sabotage and then it kind of got even more personal in my heart and in my head that I really have to do something about this because this person clearly knows what business I'm in. Mine's very cut and dry specific in the name and everything. It's funny that this person brings competition to you in your building and then out of all the other people in the professional building reaches out to you like, you know, hey honey, what's the uh, code for the secret bathroom or something? It it was to get onto the directory board and I'm thinking, well, contact our property manager. Why are you even asking me this question? I think it was just to make an introduction but it was a little threatening because she had tried to come up to my space when I wasn't there. And then again, fear just laid in that is my employee giving her a tour, thinking that this is just somebody that can come and pop in because we're friendly neighbors in my building. That's a little backdoor introduction. It's like she's kind of asking for permission. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but it feels like she's reaching out to be friendly, like kind of asking for permission because, or letting you know that, I don't know, I don't know, it feels a little weird to me. I agree, I agree. I feel like it was um, a little bit manipulative and maybe catching me off guard. When you have all the cards in your hand, it feels like an attack. Right. You know, so, to the other person. So you just decided after, after you flipped out and went all those crazy places mm-hmm. in your head, mm-hmm. you know, that sounds normal to me, then you decided, I'm not going to let this bother me. What was that process like? Yeah, after I felt all the emotions that I had to go through, the knowledge that it was fear-based was really an epiphany because I'm not a fearful person. I don't fear risks. Risk-taking is one of my, I think, biggest wonderful things that I that I have going for myself. However, it is a little tricky when you look at someone that you think is a direct threat. So I had to realize this is no threat. 
This is someone feeding their children. This is someone providing for themselves and their home. This is someone who has a passion and a hobby that also I have. Maybe we would have more in common than I even think. It's so easy to look at all of the negative things, right? There are the list of negativity can go on and on and on. And as I picked this apart and realized, you know, how negative I was being, it was only towards myself. I wasn't even lashing out to her. I was lashing out to my loved ones, venting to them, and then I was just holding all of the hatred in my heart. And this is within a couple of days' time. This wasn't, um, you know, hours. But a couple of days, I, you know, thought on it and thought, the world is big enough for both of us. Um, And then, it's funny, I've been pretty obsessed with Hamilton this past year, and that's one of the most valuable lessons that I have, that at the end of it, you know, he says, I wish I knew the world was wide enough for both of them, and that's really how I felt. So I got past it by thinking, well, we know the negative, but are there any positives? And one of the positive things is she is now an owner in our building, and we're trying to make renovations in our building, which has been difficult, and maybe someone that is targeted towards, you know, a common goal maybe she'll have great input maybe she'll you know make a stand maybe if I ever need something in my professional equipment breaks maybe I can go ask her to borrow one of hers there is always positivity in the dark storm that you think is going to just obliterate you it's not take a deep breath realize what you have is secure realize what you have is personal and it makes you you Yes, do not forget that no matter what happens, you are still you, and that is a treasure. And do not let the vicissitudes of life ever doubt your value, your gold. Thank you, Colleen. Happy New Year, my loves. See you January 11th in Ossining to set some intentions for the new year. And March 8th, we're having a party, the kickoff for the Let It Shine Foundation. That's at the Hudson House River Inn in Cold Spring. Casey.co has more. Now, if you know someone who needs to come to the January 11th, New Year's inspiration event but can't afford to do so, you can apply that they get a grant and attend for free. Visit Casey.co and check out Let It Shine. Our thought for the day is from Oscar Wilde who said, Always forgive your enemies. Nothing annoys them so much. Happy New Year and shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.